We're glad you're here checking out our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. My name is Jason Hitchings, and I'm the Men's and Sports Director here at Rolling Hills. You're joining us in the seventh week of our series, Masterclass, where we're following Jesus through the entire Gospel of Mark, one chapter at a time. In chapter seven, we see how he has the power to heal those who come to him. Whether it's a physical condition or a spiritual ailment, Jesus gives us hope and heals our hurts. Let's hear how Jesus changes the lives of the hurting and broken. We're glad you're here. Good morning. My name is Jacob. I get the honor of being the discipleship pastor at Rolling Hills, and uh, I'm blessed that I get to continue our master class series with you today in Mark chapter 7. Hopefully, uh, like me, you guys have been fed from this series. I, I really feel like God's used this to grow my spiritual faith walking through the book of Mark. Before we jump in, let's just pray uh, together. Father, thank you for this moment. Thank you for this morning. We know that your word says that there are new morning mercies every day. Lord, let us sit in that mercy today. Let us be reminded of that truth. Let us sit in your grace, Lord. Lord, I pray you open our hearts and our minds today, Lord, as we hear your word, Lord. Let us do that. Let us hear your word. Let us be changed by it, Lord, as we learn about your son, Jesus, Lord, and how he interacted in the world, Lord, and change us through it. Change us through this text, Lord, change us into your son, that as we are, our way of being in the world is the way you were in the world, Lord, with compassion to others, to be like you, Lord, to point others to you, God. We ask this in the holy name of Jesus. Everybody said Amen. So we're, we're here at summertime. That means everybody's getting their summer reading, got their beach reads, their lake reads. You know, I was uh, recently went to a, a, this is a real place. It's called a bookstore. Um, <laughs> and I went in there and right at the front, they have the summer reading. And, I, and the, the titles of these are hilarious, like Murder in the Hamptons. Or, you know, Killer in Cancun, um, things like that. I know these are, these are y'all's favorite books, but um, I, don't, I don't really read those kind of books. I've, I have four kids, so I've kind of leveled up my dad mode. So, you know, the only water I'm near in the summer is the watering of the front lawn. Um, but old school style, holding the hose in your hand like this, you know, where my neighbors are like, you know, there's a such thing as a sprinkler. And I was like, not here. Um, just watering the yard, you know, and maybe it's because I have four kids and I'm just looking for a little quiet time. I don't know. Um, but I water in the yard and in the summer I read history books. You know, that's what you do. That's what dads do. They read about tanks and stuff, you know, so I, I'm reading, I'm reading history books and I was just reading one this week and I, and they were talking about Napoleon invading Egypt in the late 1700s. It was super interesting that when he went in, he took an army, but he also took an army of scholars with him because he knew he was invading this ancient culture and there would be things that he could take credit for of, look, this is what we discovered. This is what we learned through my conquest. So he took this team of scholars and one of the things that they found when they were there was the Rosetta Stone, the computer software. They found it there <laughs> in, in Egypt. Um, no, but they found what the computer software is based on is the Rosetta Stone. Here it is in the British Museum 
uh, people there looking at this one guy. He wants to get a real close look at it. And what the Rosetta Stone is, it was a decree from 196 B.C. And the reason why it's important, not because of the decree, but because there was three different languages on it. There was the hieroglyphics at the top, then there was the, the Egyptian written language, and then there was ancient Greek. And because it said the same thing three different times, it really unlocked what we understood about ancient Egypt. It understood what we understood about the, it unlocked what we understood about the ancient world even because we saw these three languages side by side. It became uh, a decoder for unlocking this fervor across the world of ancient Egypt. It was this one piece, and it's not even a full piece, that unlocked everything else. And the reason why it stood out to me is as I was studying this passage is when we're studying the Bible, specifically the Gospels, we, want, we look at the red words and we're like, okay, the words that Jesus said are super important. I want to focus on these words. But we look at the miracles and say, look, God did something awesome there. But side by side, what the miracles are, a decoder and a greater picture of fully understanding everything that Jesus was. If we take the miracles out and just look at the words that Jesus said, would be like still trying to understand Egypt without the Rosetta Stone. And there are some scholars that would say, hey, I want to study the words of Jesus, but I don't believe in the miraculous. I believe God existed, but I don't believe that he intervened in the world in this way. And when you do, you have an incomplete picture of who Jesus was. Was because the miracles are an integral part of who Jesus was and what he did on earth. So much that, that they're not just an action, they actually are multi-dimensional. So Jesus' miracles are frequently multi-dimensional. They're multifaceted. They have these different angles to them to show you a fuller picture. They're not just an action. They have this greater dimension to them. And we'll walk through a few of these dimensions. The first dimension is that they're informative. We learn specific things about the culture from the miracles. We learn specific customs we may not have known before. We learn specific things about Jesus. Not, not just the miraculous, but relational things about Jesus. We learn how he talked to people that the miracle would be performed on or with later. We learn about Jesus' relational style, the way he listened to others, the way he talked to others, the way he interacted. So we have this informative. So if we throw out the miracles, we throw out this informative piece of understanding. We understand geographical things based on this informative dimension. And then there's the authoritative dimension. And what I mean by this is what Jesus says in the miracles is authoritative, but one of the main things is in Mark is Mark showing us the things that Jesus has authority over, whether it be weather, sickness, pain, demons. We see the miracles showing us the things that Jesus has authority over. So it's informative, it's authoritative, and then it's restorative. The miracle is always restorative. And what I mean by that, the person that the miracle is performed on or with is being restored to a certain state. But even more than that, when you see a miracle, we talk about it being supernatural. But this, think about it like this for a second. When Jesus performs a miracle, it is a pulling back of the veil. It is restoring the world to Eden. And what I mean by that is, let's say you have a sick man that Jesus heals in Mark. It's a pulling back of the veil of what the Garden of Eden was like. There was no sickness. There was no pain. So when he does a miracle, you're pulling back to see 
the intended state of the world. And not only that, you're pulling back the veil and seeing the new Jerusalem. What he's doing is showing you the kingdom is coming and it is here. It is right now the future kingdom, the new Jerusalem. So when you pull back the veil, when someone is healed, what you see is in Revelation in the new Jerusalem, there is no sickness. There is no death. There is no pain. The devil has no authority. So when you see these healings, what this is Jesus is showing you is the future kingdom to come. The kingdom of God here on earth. So it's restorative, it's informative, it's authoritative, it's restorative, and it's also redemptive. Specifically for the person usually that is being healed or the person in the miracle, they have this redemptive moment. Their, their life is never the same after this miracle. They have been redeemed, but every miracle also has this dual spiritual aspect to it. When Jesus performs a miracle, it connects to us in a spiritual way. It has a greater spiritual meaning to it. It also is the fulfillment of most of the time some sort of greater redemptive holistic prophecy. So when Jesus is not just randomly walking around performing miracles, everything has a grand intent and purpose to it. So it's redemptive, it's restorative, it's authoritative, it's informative, and the last thing it is, is formative. For that person, it begins to form them into something else. And as we read miracles, as we understand who Jesus was, the power he had, the redemptive nature, the restorative nature, that begins to form us into something. And the goal for these miracles, when we read and study them, is to be formed into Christ likeness. So as we study a specific miracle in Mark chapter 7, I want you to see these dimensions and we'll walk through these together. So if you look at Mark chapter 7, we're going to be focusing on the last portion of this starting in verse 31, but the context of what's leading up to it. Jesus is uh, having a discussion with some of his favorite people, the Pharisees and teachers. They've had multiple conversations up to this point. This time they're arguing about washing hands which I have that same argument in my house all the time with my children. Did you wash your hands? Yep. Why are your hands not wet? Towel? <laughs> but they're arguing about washing hands because they have come up with this tradition about the washing of hands. There's nothing in Scripture that tells them they should wash their hands in this way. It's just, hey, this is the way we've always done it. And we've never been caught up in anything like that to say this is the way we've always done it. Um, this is just me personally, but... They're not washing their hands, and they're, they're telling Jesus, hey, why are they not doing this? And Jesus is reminding them those are man-made traditions, not God traditions. And he goes on to say that they're defiling themselves for not washing their hands in this way. And Jesus goes on to say, hey, you know what? What we do with our hands and what we eat, that's not what defiles us. In fact, it's not what goes in that defiles us. Jesus specifically says it's what comes out because what comes out of our mouth is the state of our heart. And I care more about the heart than these outward traditions. So they're having these conversations and it moves into Jesus performing some miracles outside of this. And every time you see a miracle, Jesus usually is cold culminating the point he's trying to make in these conversations. So we find that here in verse 31, that he's been talking about washing hands versus healing hearts. And he comes to uh, this portion of scripture. So you can read along with me starting in verse 31. It says, Jesus then left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region called Decapolis. 
There were some people that brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. And then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said, be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement and said, he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. The first interesting thing about the, with this informative dimension of this, I want to show you something about geography that's, that's kind of interesting here. So on this map, you'll see where Tyre and Sidon was. We went from Tyre to Sidon. And then it said he went down to the Sea of Galilee to this area that he's speaking about here in the bottom right. And I, you know, this is a long way. This is like going from New York to Boston by way of Philadelphia. It's a, it's a really out of the way. And I think it's important for you to see this for a couple of reasons because I've studied all the scholars on this and I've read all the information and it's clear one thing why Jesus did this, that no one has any idea. Um, <laughs> but we can look at it and kind of guess what Jesus was trying to do here, that Jesus is moving into this Gentile region to expand his ministry and to show that the gospel is not just for Jews, but for Gentiles alike, that it is for everybody. So we see this, if we were to throw a miracle out, we would miss this piece of the scripture that he is expanding the gospel to all people here in the way that he goes all the way back down to the Sea of Galilee. And then look at this next portion of the text. It says, they brought him to him, and then he placed his fingers in his ears. And the thing about this is this man who was deaf and mute was considered unclean. In the same way, like a leper is considered unclean. And because when you're unclean in the Jewish context, that means you're devoid of human touch. Because if you were to touch him, you would be defiled, which is what they just got through talking about with the Pharisees. So the first thing that Jesus does is come to him and touch him. So imagine you're him for a second. You've been exiled. You've been isolated from everyone. You consider yourself an outcast. And then you feel the human touch of, of Jesus. And every time you see Jesus touching someone, it's because he was moved with compassion to touch them. And he puts his fingers in his ears, and then he spits on his hand and touches his tongue. So which it doesn't matter if he washed his hands at that point. Um, but to us, that's really odd. Like, what did he, what's he spitting about? But for them, that wouldn't have been odd because healers frequently use their saliva to when they would perform healing. So it wouldn't be outside of abnormal to them. They'd be like, okay, yeah, that's just doing what they do to me. It's like, what? So, and he does this. And he puts his fingers in his ears and touches his tongue, and then says, be opened. I mean, just at the street level, this is a man who was deaf. This was a man who could not speak. And Jesus tells him, be open. It says, at this, a man's ears were opened, and his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Which probably, this man was probably deaf and mute for the majority of his life, if not all of his life. And in this moment, the first words he ever heard was Jesus saying, be opened. Imagine how that would change your life if that was you. 
if the first words you heard from him was be open. It was the words of God himself. My cousin um, David was was deaf the majority of his life. He's 10 years older than me. He was like an older brother. We spent a lot of time together, but he would read my lips and we would talk just like we were talking right now and he could understand, but he, he couldn't hear, but he could feel vibrations. He had like a low rider truck with the biggest subwoofer speakers you've ever heard. You're like, why would he? Because he could feel, so he would feel the songs. He couldn't hear the songs, but he could feel them and he would ride around. You could hear him coming from a mile. And in his, in his late 30s, he had cochlear implants put in and he could hear for the first time and right after they put him in he said hey that door squeaky over there y'all need to put some wd-40 <laughs> on it that's a true story but then he went back and started to hear the songs that he had felt for so long he was able to hear for the first time he was able to hear his mother's voice for the first time to hear his wife's voice to hear my voice to hear for the first, his life was changed in the moment. And just imagine, that's just a, if, how much more for this man who was healed by the hands of Jesus when Jesus said, be opened. So just at the, the bottom level, we could just sit here and say, Jesus healed a deaf man and made him hear again. And our response should be amazement just the way they were amazed. But there's so much more going on here that we don't even see on the surface level. There's Easter eggs all over this. You know, if you search Easter eggs on YouTube, every movie has Easter eggs, specifically like Marvel movies. Every Marvel movie has these Easter eggs to these other Marvel movies or things that only nerds would understand. And I could say that clearly because I'm one of those nerds. Um, and like I've just been re-watching Star Wars with my, with my three sons, my nine-year-old, my six-year-old, and my four-year-old. He's a, he's a very advanced four-year-old. So, um, We were watching Obi-Wan, and they're like, hey, we want to go back and watch them all. And as we're watching, he's, they're asking all these questions. of like, who is this? Is this his uncle? Is that his brother? And I'm able to under tell you because I have the background of all these things. When we're seeing, reading this, we're like, man, this is an amazing thing. A deaf man was healed, and a mute man could speak again. But there's so much that the original Jewish audience would have understood more than we even do. Because of the fact that these guys are waiting for a Messiah. They're waiting for someone to come. Waiting for, they have hope that there is a God and he will interact in the world in a future way and send a Messiah king. And you read a lot about this future coming of a, a messianic king in Isaiah. Let me, let me show you Isaiah 35 for a second. Isaiah 35. Now think of this, of this redemptive dimension of the miracles so he, he healed a deaf man, but look at this. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened. And hold on for a second. This was written hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. When Jesus was performing this miracle, it's because he has a compassion on the man, but also because he's fulfilling prophecy of what the Messiah was going to come and do to literally make the lame leap, to make the deaf hear, 
and to make those who can't speak speak to the glory of the Lord, that he would step into history in this way. So he's telling everyone when he's healing them that I have compassion on this man, but also I am the Messiah. His actions are telling the world who he is, that God would step in and he's doing that. But what does that mean for us? And I would say this. These men and women had a hope in a future day that God would step in and act in their life as the Messiah. Here's the encouragement to us. The same God that stepped into this way has stepped into history into each and every one of our lives in the same exact way. With this redemptive dimension, with this spiritual parallel, and it's this. That we never truly hear until God opens our ears. And we never truly speak until God opens our mouths. That the spiritual parallel is God steps into our lives and changes the way we hear and the way we speak. Because before we become followers of Christ, before we commit our lives to Christ... We hear differently and speak differently. We hear and we speak, but it's differently. Before I became a follower of Christ, when I heard, I heard through the filter of how do I make Jacob's name great? By the information that I'm taking in, how do I propel my own personal kingdom? So I heard through the filter of how do I build my own kingdom? And when I spoke, how do I turn what I heard and speak things that build who I am and my kingdom instead of another kingdom? So all my hearing and speaking was selfish babble. In Genesis 11, in the Tower of Babel, God confuses people's language and they can't hear and they can't understand each other. And all they speak is babble. And before Christ, that's what we are. We cannot understand each other. We cannot understand him. And all we speak is babble. But God steps into our lives and allows us to truly hear by opening our ears and truly speak by opening our mouths. And the same words he spoke to this man, he speaks to us and says, be open. Be open, which changes us. In so many different ways, which brings us to the final dimension that we talked about, the formative dimension. So from this, from this miracle, like all miracles, there's formative practices that should change us. As we read this and we sit in awe and amazement, it should change us. And the first formative practice is this, is holy listening. When he was arguing with the Pharisees, basically the culmination of what Jesus said was, it is better to be righteous than to be right. Because the Pharisees always wanted to be right, but they never wanted to be righteous. They always wanted to be right. But when we think about holy listening, you can see that what does it mean to not just listen to people, but righteously listen to people? Holy listening. What does it mean to stop and just be with someone and listen? Eugene Peterson said, this is a paraphrase, that the better question is not, did you speak in Christ to someone this week, but did you listen to someone in Christ this week? Because when God opens our ears, it changes the way we hear. And the first thing we can hear more clearly finally is we can finally hear God. 
that we can finally hear him speak, that when we read a passage like this, after he opens our ears, what may have passed us by, the Spirit begins to uh, raise our sensors to where we can read about Jesus and truly hear about him and hear from God, that when we pray, that we can finally hear from God. And I don't know about you, is I need to hear from God. And maybe you're here today and you need to hear from God. That when God opens our ears, we can truly hear what he has to say. And then sometimes when we pray, we stop talking and just listen. And we live in a world with so much clutter, so much noise, where it's so hard to just sit in silence and listen. But God wants us to do that. He desires for us to just be with him and just hear from him so that we can truly hear God and through his word and through others. Then we can begin to finally hear others, that we start listening differently to the people around us. We don't just listen waiting for the time for them to finish talking so that we can start talking. We're truly listening to what they're saying. We're truly listening to where they are and what they're struggling with. Because sometimes... The people in your life, the greatest thing they need from you is just your presence and your holy listening to them. Because when you begin to listen to them, you begin to have compassion. Because look at every miracle that Jesus performed. The first thing he does is teach us this holy listening. He listens to them. He listens to their pain. He listens to where they are. He even listens to the Pharisees. And he speaks when he should speak, but he also is just listening when he should listen. So we can finally hear God. We can finally hear others. And then we begin to hear ourselves. So once God begins to change our ears and change our heart, we can begin to hear from him. And then the people around us, we begin to finally hear them through the filter of God's kingdom instead of our own kingdom. And then we could begin to hear ourselves. And what I mean by hear ourselves is begin to check the words coming out of our mouth. To take an inventory of the things flowing out of our mouth. As Jesus says in 720 and talking to the disciples after this confrontation with the Pharisees, he says this. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From within a person's heart, evil thoughts come. What he's saying is, it's not the outward stuff that defiles them. It's the inward stuff. It's what comes out of the mouth in the heart. What comes out of your mouth is what's in your heart. So when we begin to have new ears to hear God, to hear others, we can begin to have an inventory of ourselves. What are the words coming out of our mouth? Because the glass can only spill what it contains. What is the state of your heart? Listen to your words. Would the people around you say your, your words are encouraging? Would they say that they're edifying? Or are you the one always tearing someone else down? We begin to hear our words more clearly and filter. And for God to change our words, which leads us to the second part, is this, is holy speaking. That is when God opens our ears, we begin to hear clearly. Then he gives us the words to finally speak plainly and the first way he does it is tells us when to speak because as the Pharisees struggled with always wanting to be right and not be righteous sometimes we struggle with the same thing and it's God that gives us the place to know when to speak because sometimes the most holy thing to say to someone is nothing 
It's God that gives us the discernment to know those moments. Sometimes there is moments when we need to speak, when we need to speak truth. That is that we have to step in and God wells up inside of us like we cannot stand by. We have to speak truth, whether it be on this issue or to this person who needs to hear this. And then there's moments when all they need is an ear. And I love this quote by Martin Luther. It says, you are not only responsible for what you say, but also what you do not say. And that goes both ways on that. The times when you say something when you shouldn't have, and the times when you should have said something you didn't. You're like, Jacob, I don't know how to do that. Neither do I, but the Lord does. And as he begins to open our ears and mouths, we know when these moments are. And the last one is what to speak. What do I speak? What should I say? What is the most edifying thing to say? What is the most encouraging thing? When should I speak truth? And that is the glory of this miracle is that God opens our mouth to speak plainly. Plainly, that if you were to take an inventory of all the things we say, that hopefully the majority of the things that come in our mouth are to the glory of God and not to the glory of ourselves. That he would guide our tongue in this way. But here in this passage, he tells them after he does it, he says, don't tell anyone. It's like, well, Jesus, you just did something awesome. I want to go tell people. He tells them not to tell them. So why does he do that? It's because Jesus is not done with his redemptive plan. He is, he is unfolding in it, and the time is not fulfilled yet for him to say, go and speak about it. And he says this frequently in Mark. But here's the thing. We are not this man and we are not in this passage. We have the whole redemptive story. We have what the prophets long for. We have the whole Bible in front of us. We have the whole inspired word. And his message to us is not to not go and speak. It's this. That Jesus' call not to speak has been nullified by the Great Commission. In fact, his last words to his disciples is, yes, go and speak. Go and make disciples. Go and share the word. Go and make my name known to the ends of the earth. That is what we've been called to speak. That he has opened our mouth so we would speak plainly about these things in a world that desperately needs to hear the plain truth of the gospel. It says their response in this passage was amazement, and they couldn't help but tell everyone because Jesus did everything well. Is our response to Jesus amazement? Not because of this passage. But for me, the amazement comes from this, but also from the greatest miracle that I think he ever performed, and that he saved a wretched sinner like me. Because I know my life. I know who I was before Christ. I know the sins that I did. I know I carried the weight of it for far too long. But I also know that he took that sin from me. He redeemed my life from the pit. And the fact that I'm standing here today is a miracle that just brings awe and amazement to my heart. So the answer is, what amazes you? Are you still in awe of amazement of what the miracle he did in your life? It says he did all things well. And our call and our commission is to go tell that story plainly to everyone we come across that Jesus does all things well. Let's pray.
Father. We are so grateful for your word that we can spend time just in a few verses and learn so much about you and your redemptive story and who you are, God. That you have the power to heal, Lord, and which means you have the power to heal our hearts. That we trust that authority, Lord. We trust that redemptive nature, the restorative nature. We, re- we trust that you are who you say you are. And that the greatest miracle of all, that you redeemed us, Lord. That you came, you lived, and you died for me. And for everyone in this room, Lord, if there's anybody in this room that does not know that truth, that has not taken hold of the truth, that you came to die for them, Lord, I pray you overwhelm their hearts in this moment with the fact that you love them and that you died for them. Lord, and for all of us, Lord, remind us that you have opened our ears. Lord, let us hear the people around us. Let us hear the needs. Let us hear the pain, Lord. Let us be with other people. Let's truly be Christ to other people with our ears. Lord, and redeem our words. Lord, let us not be the ones where anger, foul talk come out of our mouth, Lord. Discouraging words. Let us be a people where our words are water in a desert. Redeem our words, Lord. Let us speak plainly about who you are, Lord. Send us into a world that desperately needs to hear about you, that you do all things well. We ask this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for checking out our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this sermon, make sure to share it with loved ones and subscribe so you can tune in each time we release a new sermon. Don't forget to check out our other awesome content like the Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, go ahead and download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. We'll see you next time.